Hi everyone, welcome to F4G Advocacy Media. You're watching the Journey Series of New Podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Crystal. And today we have a guest with us that's an author of uh, children's books and um, she has a disability. She's going to talk to us about her journey. Um, we're going to talk to Katie Mazika. Hi, Katie. Hi. Hello. Um, do you want me to just go on? Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, just go ahead and start wherever you want. Um, okay, I, I'm an author and an illustrator. So I I, um, I write the stories and, and I do the art. Um, and sometimes I do artwork for other people's books, depending. Um, but um, Primarily, I was trained as an illustrator and then got into writing the stories later. Mm -hmm. um, so my first love is the art. <laughs> I love doing the artwork. Um, I, you want me to just go and explain how I got to be an just, illustrator? Uh, tell, us, uh, tell us all about your journey. All right. Um, I, I was a kid who read everything all the time. I was a huge reader. Um, when I was a, a little, very little kid, when I was three, I had cancer in the optic nerve, rhabdomyosarcoma, sarcoma, and I lost my right eye. And after that, um, about a year and a half later, I developed a hole in the dura mater, which is one of the three linings of your brain, um, osteomyelitis, and was leaking spinal fluid. And I ended up um, in the hospital from about May through through the end of August. Um, but all that time, my mom, um, this is back before they'd let your parents stay in a hospital with you. So mm -hmm. she always made sure whoever I was rooming with was a little bit older and um, would read. Mm -hmm. So that I had somebody who could read with me. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, books were a big deal. I grew up, um, mm -hmm. She was, my mother was an English teacher. My uh, my father had been um, he got he never taught but he he'd gone to school as an education major, and um, I, they read read to me all the time as a kid. I grew up wanting to be a writer and illustrator. Didn't know about the the whole illustration field when I was really young, but as I knew I wanted to be a writer, I can remember <laughs> in like fifth sixth grade taking apart a shoebox and making a book out of it and filling it with paper yeah. and writing stories and taking it to school with me and hiding it in my desk. And I was good. I was going to write a book. Um, so anyhow, um, I, I went to school. Um, like I said, I lost my owners three. Um, from that, I ended up with epilepsy and I had that all the way up in through my twenties. Um, they finally got the right medication uh, cocktail, I guess, figured out when I was in my, my late twenties. And, um, and so I, I've held even on that for the last about 20 years. Thank goodness. Knock on wood. Um, and, um, but that's, I don't know if you have seizures is the type of thing, always in the back of your mind, some, you know, that all of a sudden you'll go back into that cycle of seizures again and, um, sort of upends your life. Um, so anyhow, I, I got through high school. I was a very, very, um, I was a big artist. I loved it. You know, my art classes, loved my writing classes. Um, some point in high school, I won some writing competitions and my dad was like, yeah, I think you're really good at this. And I got to my junior year of high school and it was art or writing and I didn't know which way to go. I was a terrible student. I was incredible incredibly ADHD, although nobody was diagnosing me with that at the time because I was, um, I was a girl. I hit it well. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, I knew that I, I could read something 15 times and not be able to spit it back on a test. And I could study for hours and never know what, what I saw um, unless it was something that I cared about. And then I, and then I could tell you everything, um, all the little bits and pieces about it. Um, but um, my mother, ironically, taught um, 
what was called special ed back then. Now it, it's it's got all its other new labels. But what was what was she was one of the first teachers trained to teach this new type of education. She had no clue what was going on with me. <laughs> she had no clue. Um, I was flipping words. I was I could you know I was struggling. And then when I got to um, um, junior high, I, on top of that, I was having seizures where I was just basically zoning out and, and missing huge chunks of my, my day and just walking. And nobody could tell because you can have a seizure without passing out. You can just sit there and stare straight ahead. And nobody knew what was going on. I just knew that my, my nothing made sense. There was no timeline. And I'm thinking I'm going nuts. Something's so wrong in my head and my, my brain is falling apart. I had no words for it. I knew that I was missing time chunks all the way through my days. Um, and I knew that things didn't make sense and that people knew stuff that I didn't. Um, and it wasn't until I had a giant seizure, a full grandma seizure, and they pulled me into the hospital and they were like, these are seizures. And I finally said, well, this is my brain is wrong. There's something horrible happening because this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. And that, that was when they finally said, no, those are seizures. You're losing giant chunks of time. Mm -hmm. And, and sitting in a classroom and I would just stare and nobody had any idea anything was happening. Um, once we knew my mom could catch it, she could tell by the look in my eyes, I wasn't there when they would happen um she could she would she knew immediately just by glancing at me that that's that I wasn't there once we knew it was happening um so I school was terrible I you know I hate I, I, school was terrible all the way through I was I thought I was really stupid because I couldn't get anything above a C I could win statewide writing awards but I couldn't get into the honors English class because I, my grade was too, too low, uh, which drove me crazy because I read voraciously. Um, I, got, I got yanked out of class in seventh grade for reading the world according to Garp. You know, I was way beyond my, my reading level and I was writing and winning awards, but they wouldn't put me in the upper level classes. And uh, so I got to the end of high school and I knew I could do art and I knew I could write. And um, art was how I got into college. It was, I got into Miami University of Oxford on a full ride, or not a full ride, I'm sorry, on a scholarship, a very nice scholarship um, based on my art. And Miami University, and the reason I chose Miami is because an illustrator showed up in my, um, in my high school to talk about being an illustrator. And I'm like, he's doing art and he's telling stories. And I wanna do that because it was a little bit of the storytelling that I loved with the writing. And it was this art that I loved so much. And so that's where I went and uh, ended up an illustrator. And he was the entire illustration department at Miami University. So I left because he, they fired him. And so I left when they fired him and ran into him. He lived across the street from my high school. And um, he's like, you got to go to CCAD. And so he got me into CCAD. I had X amount of dollars left in my college bank account. Uh, I didn't have any money. And he got me a Boku scholarship. He's, and, he, and I got through with just the money, I ended up three and a half more years at CCD with just the money I had left over, which was um, kind of amazing. He was, he was a good guy. Um, and graduated with a degree in illustration, um, did some work locally, um, ended up working at what they called then, God, they don't even have them anymore, digital outputs, where you would <laughs> people would bring in um, like, like if you were an advertising agency, you would bring in um, files on on like floppy disks, as old as it is, or zip drives, and then we would um, make it so that it could be printed uh, in any way you wanted, like in giant ban banners. In um, we would print them on uh, decals. However, it was we were the, basically the printing people. We would be the ones that would adjust the color 
and the size and then you know and then they, we print it out and because I knew Photoshop um, I started just working behind the counter at an art supply store but the minute they figured out I knew Photoshop they put me back in the back doing that and mm -hmm. I hated it it was boring <laughs> I wanted to create my own stuff um, mm -hmm. but you know it was what we did um, there's a bunch of us out of art school who did that and we did it because we could get bootleg copies of Photoshop that way Mm -hmm. and none of us could afford it back then um but uh from there I I had kids and I stopped I I, I when I had kids I focused on them um my youngest was on the he's, he's autistic um and he needed a lot a lot of my time and energy so mm -hmm. I spent um I didn't I didn't work much I when my daughter was born, she's my old, my oldest. I um, that's when I switched a hundred percent from from traditional media to digital because she was asthmatic, and I'd been a huge fan of um, of pastels. And when you do pastels, you spray fixative on it oh, so they no. don't smear. Yeah. And I couldn't do it with her in the house. Oh. I just it was I, I was so concerned for her lungs. It was I, I you know. And people were talking about Photoshop and how you could paint with it and this new, you know, whatever. And I'm like, okay. Awesome. And I, you know, I'll try it out, you know, because then it would, I won't have to worry about making her sick. Um, and then when my son was born and he turned out, you know, to have some severe issues, he, he, um, he is some very severe, like he couldn't cross the midline. Um, he was very, very, um, he he talked he could he was he was verbal but he was um it was all echolasia he was repeating stuff it was getting him to have his own you know and he would he 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 struggled quite a bit he would a lot of um pt and ot with him um so that was kind of where everything went on pause and it went on pause for several years we were in one school system in indiana um where I was actually going to school with them because they wouldn't help them with an aid. And then um, we got to the public schools here in Ohio and he was getting what he needed, but it was still a, a battle. And I spent a lot of, a lot more time in the school that I would have liked, mm -hmm. making sure that, that he got what he needed to get through a day. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a, um, he had a, also a, a severe facial deformity. Mm -hmm. Um, that um we just this like a two years ago I guess this fall we will have he had corrected it but it was a nine hour surgery they, oh, they wow. both of his jaws pushed the bottom one back and brought the top one forward um but because of that he 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 didn't speak um clearly through his whole whole school career yeah. um so yeah and then I so once once he got to an age where he didn't need me quite so much and he was more independent, which is pretty much middle school. Then I went back to the um, art full time. Um, and I, I put together, I put together a book. It was just um, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I just to see if I can do it. And I did, and I put it on Amazon. And because um, then you could put stuff on Amazon easily, and it was quick and some. Another illustrator I knew had suggested it. And I said, well, okay, I'll try it out. And once I did that, and I was like, okay, I can do this. I started pushing um, a portfolio. And I got a portfolio together and I got work, um, initially vanity presses. And vanity presses were nice because it was a way to cut my teeth. It's a way to make sure I hit a deadline. Um, and I went through the art direction. And it was so it was sort of like they don't they 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 do not pay well. And it was um, there was some, you know, usually um, I, I had some of my art direction was coming from authors who don't understand, you know, that that, you know, the page is portrait. You can't do a landscape very well, you know, that sort of stuff. So there was there was a little bit of that, but it was just but it was I needed I needed to know. Um, I needed to have credits to my name. I needed to be able to go out there and say to our directors, look, I've done this. Um, and that was a good way to do it. Um, 
I joined SCBWI and my first SCG, SCBWI meeting was like 2015. Um, and I, uh, you know, met some people, um, got a, to look at portfolios to see what was out there. And that was the first time I ever heard from other artists about agents. And I was like, oh, <laughs> there are these agents out there that will help me get work. I need one of those. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, and at the same time, I found um, something called MATS, Make Art That Sells. It's a online classes. Mm -hmm. And I put myself in those, two cycles of those, and came out with enough of a portfolio that I got my first agent. Um, went through, worked with that agent for about 18 months. And I, I got a lot of educational work with them. Didn't get any trade work. And so they 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 dropped me because they wanted me to have trade work. And I, I wasn't getting it. But I got a lot of educational work under my belt. Um, I ended up going, actually, I got very lucky, was picked up by a second agent almost immediately. Um, and that agency was a much smaller agency and uh which I liked and uh, very nice people and it just it was a different environment everybody cheered each other on as opposed to you know feeling like um picked at each other this one was much more uplifting um but unfortunately that agent um she came down with cancer and passed away oh. and so <laughs> And so then I, I I was kind of at a loss and I didn't know what to do. And I'm like, do I really want to go out and look for an agent for a third time? Mm -hmm. This would have been my second time in like a year because she she got sick very quickly and closed down the agency within a year of me signing with her. Um, so I, I was I was at a loss and another illustrator, um, author illustrator said to me, well, why are you looking at art agents? Go get a literary agent. Just write. And it never had occurred to me before that. And then I'm like, yeah, why am I looking at like I And I had these illustrations I had done for my first agent that I never even got to show her um, because I had been working on them when they dropped me of um, Annette Kellerman. And I, I really, I found her fascinating. I liked her story. So I went back to that and I, re I wrote it. I wrote the, you know, I wrote my first uh, picture book bi biography um, about Annette and, um, and then um, didn't, didn't, you know, went and, and got some feedback on it, cleaned it up some and put it, um, did it, what they call a DV pit, um, which is a, a pitch on Twitter. It was for diversity. Uh, a diversity pitch on Twitter and um, I put it out there and I got some some nice response and one of them was from my current agent and she she and I got on the phone and talked and I you know I really liked her and I liked uh, her point of view and she's like she's like I think you should write more picture book biographies about about people with disabilities and that should be what you focus on and I'm like, okay. And she's like, I think, um, I think that's something that we need and we can, we can find a, a home out there. So I signed with her and she sold a net about a year, 15, well, about a year and a half. Yeah. I signed with her in May. We sold a net the following August, you know, it was several months of me working on it and putting, putting, um, the doing the whole dummy together and her giving me feedback and then putting together a list that we wanted and um beach lane was simon schuster beach lane were the ones that are eventually picked it up um and they picked up the second one with it um which is beulah louise henry um mm -hmm. and um you know so i'm i'm you know i'm very very fortunate and then she's a great agent she's very very um She's very good. She's um, got a great way of having a big picture. <laughs> you need the big picture plan and um, probably a good counterbalance for me. Um, if you want to write, 
sometimes you've got to step away and say, not be just into what I want to write, but what, what do I want to write that's going to resonate and that somebody wants to read? Do you right. know what I mean? Well, not only, uh, even if it's not about something that the general population would want to read, but if you're helping other people. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the disability community, which you have a door open on that mm-hmm. because you have your own challenges. Yes. And they're trying to figure out, kids especially, are trying to figure out how they fit in now because yes. they're different and they're, they don't fit the world standards of what a person should be and look like and talk like and all that. Um, exactly. So that it, I, I'm sure that is for you. That's incredibly enlightening to be able to do that kind of work. It it it's, it is it is. Um, and that was something that I was really clear about with with my agent. I said I want these out there. Um, and not just for pe- people, you know, I wanted kids with disabilities to have heroes with disabilities, but I wanted kids who don't have disabilities to have heroes with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted, I wanted um, this, this um, understanding that these are, are, are people who are, are as valuable in society as anybody else. Right. Um, for everybody, not, you know, not just to be, um, not just for the disabled kids and those, you know, because it's important to see yourself in books, but also, you know, the whole concept of door, um, mirrors, you know, window, mirror, sliding glass door, you know, if you see yourself or you see somebody different and develop empathy and understanding. Right. Um, and, and, um, and I, I think that's so important. Um, I go back to when I was a kid and my favorite book was Madeline because it was the only book that showed the inside of a hospital. Mm-hmm. She was in a hospital and she had a scar and she showed that scar off. And a three-year-old me who had her head wrapped in bandages for you know years, that was a big deal. I, I thought she was amazing. And, you know, and I wanted to be as brave and and bold about my scars as she was. And I wasn't, I was a a much more quiet, timid kid, but I I looked up to her and um, I just, and there there wasn't much out there, you know, there wasn't anything. And, and um, even now I've, I've heard illustrators, um, in fact, an illustrator, I know, um, author, illustrator who did a book um, with part of it was in a hospital, was told don't depict a lot of scary hospital stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but these kids, they live with it. Some kids, this is their, they go in for, for diabetes. They go in for, for all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if it's hidden and not talked about, that's, that's not, that doesn't help that, you know, um, and it's not scary if you don't make it scary. And you don't make it mysterious and hide it. So, um, I, you know, so anyhow, I think, um, and the same with, you know, I think people just, they're afraid of what they don't know. And so we have to make them familiar. I don't know if you remember, it was a long time ago, back in September, when we did our pre-interview, I spoke about Johnny Erickson Tata. But thinking back to how much I appreciate people like you that write stories like that mirrors exactly what who she is mm-hmm. and, and a, in a Christian kind of way mm-hmm. with a disability, um, she was able to do that same thing. And mm-hmm. in my life, it definitely made a huge impact. I mean, not that I... I could share, well, I could share it, but okay. not that anybody really cared because disability to everybody else is boring, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but to me, it made a huge impact because she would talk about issues and 
in, in a Christian way. So I was really, you know, enthralled by it. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So did, did you have a chance to look her up? Um, I think I looked her up in September. Um, but you know what? It, like you said, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's fine. <laughs> Just, but I think um, perhaps if you, um, that would be a good contact for you to. Okay. Um, no. Um, it, will you send me a link? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank I can you. do that. Mark, do you have anything? Um, I did, well, you sort of touched on it. Um, you know, people were telling you that that uh, you don't want to scare kids by, or they were giving you the message not to scare kids by showing them the inside of a hospital or whatever. But uh, as you kind of touched on, it's uh, sort of scarier not to show them that because then it lets their imagination kind of run wild. It does. It does. Um, exactly. And I, I think we have um, we, we have to be aware of that. And, and, and we just have to be, you know, honest and open. And, you know, kids ask me all the time, what happened to your eye? And I'm just, you know, just tell them. And I, I see parents are like, shh, shh, shh. It's like they're kids. They have questions. So, you know, and it's okay. I don't mind when kids ask, you know, when, when, when they're curious, it's curiosity is normal. Um, I'm more troubled and I've had it happen. I've had it from adults when I get the, the comments behind my back and I do, you know, and that's, that's hurtful, but the, the questions aren't hurtful. They're just kids want to know and understand. And I think, um, you know, just got to tell them. And if you don't want to tell them, you, you can always say, I'd rather not say, you know, and they're, they're usually fine with it, but I get, I get kids all the time. Um, and they're funny. I always get and any, anything I do, any time I read or to a group of kids, there's always, a, it's usually a boy in the back who will sit and stare at me with one eye closed doing this the whole time. <laughs> And, and but he cracks me up because he's trying to figure out how he's trying he's being empathetic he's trying to understand how I see and it just it always cracks me up because the minute he sees me looking at him he's like, you know, like I wasn't doing anything and I said you were and that's okay and I don't want I just I feel bad that um it feels like I mean something like shameful that you have to hide six stats this is a big deal you can ask your curiosity isn't bad but things like that are so sweet, though, because it shows the empathetic side of it. Yes, people. exactly. And so it's very evident, you know, with people that are like, shh, be quiet, don't, don't ask, don't talk yeah. about, uh, you know, don't, you know, in the, they don't want to be empathetic. They want to hide you away. And they... They're uncomfortable by it, but people like that is, is amazing, you know, and especially kids don't have a filter. Kids, no, no. Kids are, you know, before they're, you know, they're so impressionable, but before they're ruined by the world. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And, and you just, you know, and so, you know, when they ask, you know, I always, it's okay, you can ask. You know, but um, yeah. And it was something my mother told me a thousand years ago when I was very little. And, and I remember, you know, being in grocery stores and stuff and people would stare and she, she'd say, she was, if you want to tell them, you can tell them. And if they're rude, she, and she's like, that's, you can tell them. And she told me, she gave me permission to use the F word. She said, if they're rude to you, you can be rude back. And I, and I went, oh, <laughs> in that case. Oh, yeah. No, but, um, but you know, with little kids, the little kids are never rude. That was adults, and I I've had adults. I had adults when I was a kid be rude, and I, I've had adults be rude to me as an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, which usually um floors me. You know, it's like really, you know, just 
but uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, it, it surprises me, but I don't know. I guess it disappoints me. It's also important to break that cycle, right? And like, yeah. Ad, adults are treating it that way trying to church to their kid or whatever because that's the way they were taught and that's the way their parents were taught and mm-hmm. on down the line and yes. if uh, we don't break that cycle somehow and tell somebody that it's okay it's going to keep going exactly and that's kind of exactly what I was about to say like you know people that are know like you that are telling stories whether it be in a book or in a movie the actual story not trying to glam it up and try Mm -hmm. to you know the entertainment industry telling the what's going to make all that money or whatever you know um that's the way people are gonna get the real story and understand how things really are instead of being scared of it yep exactly exactly and um yeah Uh, and i i see more and more of it in kids books and Mm -hmm. that's one of my favorite things about children's publishing is um there it's a very diverse community and they're open to diversity and and, um and there are a lot of open minds and and making sure that what we're sharing with the kids is is helping them have empathy and um and you know develop empathy for people who aren't like themselves and i think that's important we need that um you know and not just with disabilities with everything you know and i think um right it's it's important and um that we 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 see beyond ourselves. Yes, it's the understanding that regardless of your background mm-hmm. or your ethnicity or your disability, those are all differences. And that's what, you know, people are so good at trying to divide. But underneath it all, we all are human. We yes, all have exactly. the same soul, you know. Exactly. That's exactly right. And, and, I, I think we that's a, that's a touchstone that I see. I have picture books again and again go back to is, is you know, and that's that's the whole idea of the windows, mirrors, and sliding glass doors. Is you know, this is why books matter is because kids need to be able to see not just themselves, but people mm-hmm. that aren't themselves and have empathy and understanding, right? Um, and and then see that they're not that different, right? Oh. That is so important. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So. Um, you mentioned that uh, generally people in the children's book world are more open. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you suppose that is? I think um, it because if, if you were writing and illustrating picture books, you grew up reading voraciously um and you know and and, well not just just picture books with the middle grade and young adult are are voracious readers um and i i i think the more you read the more open your mind is to, to to different people and different you know um and understanding that people are all the same you know just just despite their their differences on the surface um so I suppose there's a lot of that. I mean, I think it's very hard to read widely. And, you know, if you're if you're an agent, you you probably have, you know, you're you are you you are an agent, you are you must be somebody that likes to read and yeah. read widely because that's that's 90% of your job. Um but it's hard to be somebody that reads widely. Yeah. Um and and doesn't doesn't have an, a mind that is open to differences. Yeah. I think that just comes, you know, naturally. Um, um, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. And I think I think that's the community that's drawn to publishing too. I think that there's there's um, 
it's just an open community because um, open minds make good, good art and good books, good literature, you know? Um, and I think that that's a piece of it. It's hard to be creative when you're afraid to step out of a box. Right. It is incredibly important, you know? And um, if I can add to what Mark was asking about why you think it's so easy for them, it's because they are, they understand yeah. that it is so foundational. Yeah. For, because at that point, kids' minds are, you know, fluid. <laughs> They're not, you know, they can take in so much more. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, just the whole thinking back to as an adult that has a publishing company, thinking back to when you're a kid and the nostalgia of books, yes. you know, and how they shaped who you are and not just books. I'm talking about anything that, you know, media, movies, you know, books, you know, all that, all of that. But um, and like school too, but unfortunately, a lot of that, you know. Yep. Was, yep. Anyway, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> but um, yeah. So you know, I I think it would be easy for a publisher to say, "Let's do this. This is gonna hopefully this is gonna really take off." And mm -hmm. from what I see, it, it is exponentially yeah. and. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, um, I think you're absolutely right. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, um, but yeah, I, I think that's why we have so much, you know, it, it, and there's a lot of movements within publishing. There's the We Need Diverse Books movement. There's the Brown Bookshelf movement that are all about diversity. Anything else? Um, so tell us a bit more about some of the books that uh, you're, you've worked on or you're working. Yeah. Uh, well, I um, uh, as an illustrator, I did the Chicken Soup for the Soul. I did three of those books. Those are fun. Mm -hmm. These are my Chicken Soup books that I, these two came out last year. Um, and they were the first two in the series. And they were a ton of fun because they were just animals. Mm -hmm. And then I just did a third in the series, this guy. And this mm -hmm. came out about two weeks ago. Um, and then, and those are just as an illustrator. And that came out um, last September. Mm -hmm. And then the, the um, sort of companion biography will, is called Beulah Has a Hunch. Mm -hmm. And... And Beulah has a hunch inside the colorful mind of master inventor Beulah Louise Henry. Mm -hmm. um, and that one comes out October of this year, October 17th. Um, that, um, and then uh, Annette is about Annette Kellerman, who is the swimmer. Mm -hmm. She was uh, invented synchronized swimming. She was she's the reason we don't wear dresses to swim anymore. Uh, <laughs> she, she's pretty interesting. She was a very bold kind of knew who she was and didn't back down. You know, she, she had a lot of attitude. There's a great picture of her. It's in the back matter. And it's just this woman who is all that, she's like 19 in this picture in a foreign country. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that is a lot of attitude to be that young in a place mm -hmm. that you is <laughs> unknown and, and have attitude like that. I it's just like, I like her. She's impressive. Beulah was the opposite. Beulah was raised to be um, a, a lady. She was sent to finishing school. She had expectations set on her. And I don't think she ever wanted to disappoint her family. She tried to do it, but she had such a drive to be an inventor. And she, her mind just was so different. She saw it and, and couldn't help herself. And um, 
when I went through her history, there's this period of time from when she got out of school to when her first invention happens where she's writing poetry for the paper and she's attending, you know, luncheons. And it's like, she's trying to go do whatever they wanted her to do. And then she's at some point, she's like, she just makes her invention. It's like, I can't anymore. You know, you kind of, but she, she tried, um, but her, her brain, she uh, was able, and if you've ever read um, Tembo Grandin, any of her books, it reminds me of how she describes how she pictures things. Um, she she could see stuff, Beulah could see stuff. She describes it three-dimensionally, being able to turn it around and inventions and see how they worked in her mind and before she even made them. And then she would see it in her brain and she would draw it. But she had no, she never took engineering. She had no upper level math. She went to finishing school. So she had no words to say, this is going to, this is a lover that is going to have a fulcrum that will make this, you know. Um, she had no understanding how it all went together um, technically. So she, she hired people where she'd say, see this drawing? This goes like this. Can you make it? And they understood her. And they are like, yes, we can make that happen. And it's called A, B, and C. And this is how we make it happen. And, um, but that is how she did. She created her first invention, um, which is a parasol that had removable uh, covers and a handle that collapsed. We still use that telescoping umbrella handle today. But that mm -hmm. was her who came up with it initially. It was like, you know what? I kind of hate having these long umbrellas in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh -huh. make this. And she did it because she was walking around with a telescope going, I can do this with an umbrella handle. Yeah. Um, you know, so she, her brain just, and uh, I know that she had, uh, a, I'm sorry, I know she had hyperphantasia. I know she had uh, synesthesia. I'm sure there are other things, but I, 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 I'm not a doctor and, I, you know, you can't diagnose at a distance, but when I hear stuff, I'm like, well, that's very interesting. I'm sure there is something there mm -hmm. in her mind. Um, and that was part of the reason why I wrote Beulah is I wanted people to see that um, the mind and you know, you, autism, all of it, there's this giant spectrum of how our minds work. Um, the synesthesia, the aphantasia, the hyperphantasia. Hyperphantasia is how she saw things, three-dimensional. Um, where she could see them work. Um, aphantasia is if somebody you know, says something like apple, you see nothing in your mind. Mm -hmm. And we are all somewhere in that spectrum. She just happened to be at the far end where she that made her a wonderful inventor. Um, and I, I, I can, I'm fairly hyperphantasic, but that's because I draw all day. And that's sort of, I think I almost exercise that muscle. Um, but my poor daughter, She's got nothing. She's like, I see nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, which blows me away. I mean, we've had this conversation, she and I, multiple times. I'm like, how can you see nothing? She's like, I don't know. There's nothing. And I'm like, that doesn't, it, it doesn't compute to me. But that's what's so amazing about brains is, is you know, it's, it's such a spectrum. And so she's got this, um, this brain that works differently. And because it worked differently, she ended up being... Um, the most prolific female inventor of, of the 1900s. And um, and to this day, which she holds the most mechanical inventions, or I'm sorry, mechanical patents of any woman mm -hmm. um, to this day. And with a woman who's never had engineering or, um, or physics or upper level math, she just figured it all out. Um, so, so she, she, she's, I finished her. I have my F and G's, which is where you get the folded and gathered, you know, all the, all the pieces printed up. I got my first round of those that was just for color proofs. Um, and it is officially up on Edelweiss. Are you guys familiar with what Edelweiss is? Oh, yeah. If you Google Edelweiss beyond the tree line, it lists all the books coming out for the next seasons. Mm -hmm. um and it's how and once your book is up there it means it's officially for sale and and um 
It's, I guess, what libraries and bookstores use to see what they buy next year. Mm -hmm. You know, because I guess they're buying a season ahead. So she's she's all done. Um, then I, I and this is also with Beach Lane, um, Simon Schuster Beach Lane. Um, the Sears book will come out 2025. And I'm wrapping up um, all the text on that and getting ready for that. That's looking to be a 48 page book, which is why we are getting that one ready now, because I will need a lot of time to get all that art done, a very uh, technical art. But that's a book about Sears houses. And it's a book about a little boy who doesn't want to leave his, his the house that he grew up in with his grandparents. Um, and, you know, yes, it's a cool new house, but he, he wants to be with his family. So, um, and then uh, I, then the other one that is more based on, on my childhood, but that hasn't been announced, so I can't get into the details of it yet. I'd like to, but um, hopefully it'll be announced soon. Keep us updated. Yeah, yes, I will. Um, also with Simon Schuster, but that one, that one is awesome. And that one should be 2024. I'm not sure when in 2024. Mm -hmm. um, but um, that one is, um, is dummy, which means I have, it's sketched out and it's, it's kind of in the process. Mm -hmm. And then um, after that, I have one more about Neela Park out with um, Simon Schuster and that'll be 2026. Wow. And that one is, <laughs> I'll get, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm worried about Sears, right? And um, the other one right now. So I got, uh, I'm working, I got a lot on my plate and I like, I like being busy. Um, I'm also playing around um, with uh, middle grade. I think I'd like to write older at some point. I haven't decided, but um, I like being busy. Like middle school, high school? Middle grade generally will start about eight, eight, nine years old when they start with those chapter books. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, and they usually they it gets it gets weird. They they has young middle grade and then older middle grade. And the the, the problem becomes um 12-year-olds will never read about younger kids. They want to read about the 14-year-olds. So you you get nine 10 year old 10 year olds will read about a 12 year old, but a 12 year old wants to read about the 14 year olds. So you get you get this it's this weird um awkward phase in books because you don't want to be too old, right. but you don't want to be too young and turn off the readers. And it, it's but there there's some fun books if you look out there. Um there's a lot of fun series that have been coming up. Um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid's a classic, but there's others um, um, for that that age group that sort of combine the art and the the writing. Um, um, you, sorry, I I didn't quite hear you properly. Did you mention that uh, one of the books was about a uh, Sears houses or yeah. something? Yeah. Uh, get could you explain what that is? Because I have I don't know what that is. Crystal, really, do you know what that really is? Cool. I've, I've heard about it, but I no, I don't know. You you this is why they need a book. <laughs> <laughs> um from 1909 to 1940, you could get a catalog from Sears that was filled with houses and you would order a house from Sears. Yeah. And, and the prices were ridiculous. So like, like $1,800, you could get a house. And um, you would order it and it would come on a train car, a couple of train cars, depending on the size of the house. And everything would come to you um, pre-measured, every board already measured and cut and numbered. Uh, all of your shingles, all of your tiles, your bathtub, everything your lighting you could upgrade because not all of them had indoor plumbing in 1909 not everybody had indoor plumbing um but you could upgrade to indoor plumbing you could upgrade to certain appliances um and have packages with the really fancy lights but um they came in these kits and crates and you would come and you would unpack your kit and put it together 
<laughs> based on the numbers and they had instruction books. And if you got the the uh, lighting, you got your electricity book. And if you got the um, indoor plumbing, you'd get your plumbing book. And the plumbing book would be either the sophisticated plumbing book where you had faucets or less sophisticated where you hooked to a well and had a pump in your sink. But you would put your own house together. And it was something that people did with their family members and neighbors would help out and they would they would put together homes. And they are all over there, um, in, particularly in the Midwest. The largest concentration is Chicago, followed by Ohio and Cincinnati, where I grew up. I grew up in two of them. Um, I lived in one with my 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 mother and my brother, um, and from the age of seven to about twelve, and then we moved to a second one when I was twelve. And then years later, my husband and I bought our first house in Indiana. I'm walking through this house and it's like our third house that we've, we've looked at. And I'm like, this is it. We're buying this. And he's like, are you sure we've ever seen that? I said, no, this is it, Chris. I want this. <laughs> and I'm like, this is it. I love this house. And he's like, all right. And my mother comes up a week later and she walks through and she goes, Katie, you know, this is the house you grew up in. It's a Sears house. It's the same kit. Um, and it was, it was the same house. I totally didn't recognize it because they put in a second stair. It had a front stairwell and a back stairwell, which threw um, me off. But then I'm like, oh, that is why the wallpaper going down the basement stairs is so familiar. It was the same wallpaper we had in our house. Because wow. Sears sold the wallpaper too. They sold it all. Um, they even, um, they were the ones, the first mortgages were Sears. They set up the first mortgages and how all that, what we know now as mortgages were initially done by Sears. For the people who bought their kid houses um mm -hmm. and then um basically what happened was the great depression just mm -hmm. and it blew up and um thousands of mortgages did not get paid back and mm -hmm. it they the they ended up folding the whole sears company um or not company i'm sorry the whole sears housing department yeah. part of that mm -hmm. company the honor built company was what it was sears honor built mm -hmm. and the whole honor built um home division went under but at the time, from the um, they had you would go into um, offices. They had them in Cincinnati, Chicago, Pittsburgh, all around um, the East and Midwest. And you would you would go in, and they would have showrooms, and they would show you what 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 their bathrooms could look like, and they would show you um, what kind of uh, wallpapers you could buy. And you would go in, you could go into the showroom to buy one or you could order it out of a catalog. And the um, the mm -hmm. um, the attraction was not just how little it cost. Cause I mean, I did the math and a lot of these houses would be $30,000 today. They have almost nothing. Um, but that you could, you could um, adjust it like there were several homes where you could do it as a two bedroom or a three bedroom you know you could make all these adjustments on your own you could flip it either way you wanted and the homes you see the craftsmen those were Sears homes uh, with all the building cabinetry and stuff so there they are um, to this day now if it's a Sears house it's, it's much more expensive so they're kind of a collecting collector's item today I guess but mm -hmm. I just I think it's fascinating I think it's really cool and you can go like like in our house you go under and there's you could see markings on the wood yeah. I told you that's very interesting isn't it that's crazy it. it's like a lego set that the grown-ups could yeah. buy <laughs> and live in and it's one of those things that that a lot of people don't know about, and it's almost hard to believe it happened. <laughs> you know? Well, not really. I mean, are we not living in a time period where Amazon is trying to do the same thing? Well, that's true. That's true. You're right. <laughs> I think I trust Sears more because I'm telling you, those Sears houses uh -huh. are still standing a hundred years later. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, nowadays it's more about uh mm. quantity and then quality it's more about you know yeah, yeah. it's 
them trying to monopolize everything. Yes, exactly. Turn basic needs. Yeah. And what should not be a bunch of money to own or have to live comfortably? They're trying to make a lot of money off it, profit off of that. Well, that's that's a, what's a little mind blowing it to me is that these houses were selling for so inexpensively and they were such mm-hmm. high quality. Mm-hmm. And it's like now you can get a much less high you know, the quality is not nearly as nice but you'll pay exorbitant mm-hmm. amounts of money and it's right. it's it's um it it, it it feels like uh falsely inflated you know what i mean i know that was a different time period <laughs> a different time period but at the same time it sounds like it was very much the idea of it was economical and from a standpoint that was more empathetic to serving people yes. and was to making a profit off of people's inability to be able to do whatever you know yeah it, it very well it very much was and one of the things that they was known for is this was um something for the the middle class, because you're coming out of the 1800s, early 1900s, where everybody can now afford a house. It was making home ownership available to a huge population that maybe had been out of reach before. And you see articles about people who are like, oh, my parents were appalled that the Sears houses went up down the street. We had a real architect come in and design ours. And so there was a snobbery to it back then, which I find funny because now people want the Sears houses. Mm-hmm. But back then there was a snobbery to it that um that they were something that that you know sort of the everyman could have a house. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, before then I think it was more uh home ownership maybe wasn't in everybody's reach. Right. And so you gotta right. you gotta appreciate Sears for doing that and doing it with with high quality um giving you know solid homes and they were beautiful houses. So. Yeah, like uh, Crystal was saying, I think it um, back then it was more about people wanting to legitimately serve customers and look out for their best interest. Yep, that's what it felt and like. Yeah, especially with a lot of big companies these days, it seems like they they'll say that, but. They they don't seem to yeah the, well they have to to get you in the door to buy you if you buy some something from them but um, yeah they don't seem to um, they'll trust that isn't actually what they're doing their their ultimate goal is to line the pockets of the company and ultimately the person who owns the company. I just got a scary ad from Amazon that I can now have a doctor's appointment with them and uh-huh. then fill my prescription. I'm like, I uh, don't think so. Uh, I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I'll stick with going to my guy locally yeah. so I can look somebody in the eye and, you know. But we yeah. were, that brings we were, joking. go ahead. That brings up a good point. You know, we were, <laughs> we were discussing um no I just lost it <laughs> um what were we talking about the yeah. other day we were talking about like this musing over the fact that Amazon may get into banking or something like that oh we're going oh, for medical first <laughs> okay. okay uh sorry <laughs> um so it is very evident when somebody or a company or whatever organization is getting into it for the profit. Yeah. Of course, they have to appeal to the, uh, you know, the emotional part of it, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, but if people would only spend a little time researching and knowing there, because for me, it's action speaks louder than words. 
Yeah. You know, if if I can look up and see what actually goes on and what people, what actual people are saying about your product and mm-hmm. what you're about as a company, that and then maybe buy it once I know that for sure. Yeah. Then, you know, if more people would do that, you know, things would not be so confusing. And I know, agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't, I'm not um, thrilled to see one or two companies take over the the whole country or the whole world. You know, it's like, you know, so. Yeah. But uh, maybe we should get back to talking about the. (laughs) That's a little bit of a tangent. That's a whole, oh my gosh, that's a whole podcast. (laughs) <laughs> not just one that's a whole entire <laughs> go ahead Mark. um so what else uh what else do you have going on Katie um that's that's about it right now as far as work goes you know I've got my do family you have a and... website that people can go to to know when I do uh www.katiemazika k-a-t-i-e-m-a-z-e-i-k-a dot com and i'm always happy when you know you got questions you want to ask and stuff you could you know i I tell that to kids all the time you know i'm always willing to answer questions about being an author or illustrator and Um, it feels like you're you know a good uh example if people are interested in getting into this kind of work with their disabilities, you know, who, you know, like I mentioned, you know, me having, you know, the, the Christian background, but also the, the inherent need to in some way, be able to share that with the world. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it needs to get out there in whatever avenue, <laughs> you know, you can do it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, and I think, um, I think anybody who, who you know, um, who wants to, should do it. Absolutely. And I think there are definitely um, places that 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 you know um, what's the right way to say it. You're, there's a market out there. There's people who want to read it and need to read it, and, and you know, kids that need to see. Uh, and then also, there's people that are scared to take that step to. Sure. If you don't take the step, you'll never go anywhere. Yeah. You got to take the step. Yeah. I know it's scary. But the thing about, at least with the children's book community, is it's such a great community and it's very supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anything about adult writing, but I know that uh, the children's book community is, is just mm-hmm. um, very supportive and wants to see each other succeed. Um, if anybody is interested in being a children's writer, illustrator, the first th- place they should go is scbwi.org. That's mm-hmm. Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Uh, it's $80 a year for membership. You get free um pod, you get free uh webinars that are invaluable. You get the big book that tells you everything you know need to know about how to send your work out, about who to send it to, gives you lists of um agents it gives you a list of editors it gives you a list of art directors um and it it gives you all kinds of resources it'll help you find a crit group in your area um Mm -hmm. and there's local conferences that are are great great places to meet people that are local to you that are doing the same thing you do and uh the conference is usually filled with all kinds of great experts Mm -hmm agents you can get um portfolio reviews you can get um reviews on your writing it's it's scbwi um 
It's where if you, you want to do this, it's very good place to start. Thank you. Great, thank you. Anything else, Chris? No, I think that was a good interview. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Katie, for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.